0: So this evening we want to uh, turn back to uh, Genesis chapter 16. There's a very famous song, uh, an Irving Berlin song that was made famous by Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and I think also by Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra, uh, and latterly, for those of you who are younger, uh, by Allied Dunbar in an advert that uh, I think was in the 90s or so. And you know the, the chorus of this song, there may be trouble, I'm not going to sing it, uh, you'll be glad to know. There may be trouble ahead, but while there's moonlight and music and love and romance, let's face the music and dance. Now it's, it's lovely sentiments and uh, very romantic, uh, I'm sure, but really is is, is that all we have? Um, because I don't think for many of us life is like that. It does seem, uh, certainly, that there's not only trouble ahead, but there's trouble uh, in the present for many of us, uh, and always is to a greater or lesser degree. And, of course, we're in troubling and difficult and uh, insecure and, uh, and for many people, very frightening days. I remember Bob Dylan in, in 1981 brought out a great album called Shot of Love, and he had a song on that called Trouble. And uh, the chorus was trouble, trouble, trouble. Nothing but trouble. And uh, in many ways, I think he was echoing uh, the words that Job spoke in Job chapter 14 and verse 1 where he said, Man uh, who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. And I think the the great reality of uh, the Bible is, uh, or the great truth of the Bible is it doesn't ignore reality. Um, it faces uh, the troubles and difficulties and the sufferings head on. Um, and sometimes I think people think that a, that's a, um, makes the Bible depressing reading, and sometimes it is. But the great thing is uh, that it doesn't leave trouble there. Uh, it leads us to the gospel dance And to the celebration of grace. And we must always remember that. And must always remember that where we are just now is not the end of of the story or the picture. And I think that comes across very much in this account uh, of Hagar and Sarah and Abram. And I just want to try and keep things sharp this evening. And make two simple comparisons here. uh, And apply it along the way to our own lives as believers and the first is very simple. Uh, well, they're both very simple. The first is that we mess up as believers. We mess up as believers. Now, as I unpack that through this story, I'm going to take a little aside here uh, by um, just mentioning that we we can mess up as believers uh, by ignoring the hard bits of the Bible. So maybe you've read this story tonight and you think, uh, this is just a weird story. And it's so different from 21st century living. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's just so odd. Uh, And so you think, it's got nothing to say to me in my life today. Um, And I think when we do that as Christians, by ignoring the hard bits in the Bible, we're messing up and we're doing a great disservice to God because it's important that we do recognize that we require, we're require required to work sometimes with Scripture and to dig with Scripture and to understand that God was speaking into history and into societies and into cultures and into times and generations very different from ours. And it's our task and our privilege as well to understand these times so that we can understand that what God is saying into them and therefore to us. You know, we don't want to be like the Brits abroad, you know, where everything must be in our language and uh, uh, we must be able to get our full English, full English breakfast whenever we go out to eat or whatever it is. Uh, and we don't expect to understand and recognize the culture into which we have gone. Now, this is a, an ancient culture, ancient Near East. It was an honor and a shame culture, and God is working with people in and through that culture. And uh, in the time of, uh, that this was happening and, and written, childlessness uh, uh, was a huge issue for families. and no, no, it, it still is a huge issue, but I think sometimes for different reasons. Uh, and in an honor and shame culture, um, it was sig- hugely significant that there were heirs and that there were children to carry the family name forward. Now, the law of that time, not God's law, but the law of that time and the culture of that time allowed for slave surrogacy, and that's what we have here. We have you know, this strange story of Abram and Sarai having this promise from God, Uh, that uh, one of their own children uh, would be their descendant and be their heir and many children would come from that. And uh, as they were growing older, they didn't see that happening. And so Sarah uh, gives Abram her slave uh, Hagar uh, to be the surrogate mother of his child. And and that was something that was uh, allowed in that culture and that society. Uh, it was very different from our society. And we must recall that that is not God's original pattern for, for families and for marriage. But nonetheless, the Bible records what people were doing, not necessarily saying that it was uh, what God wanted them to do. So the times and the culture that this is written into is very different. The shame and honor culture where surrogacy like that, like that was allowed. And we do need to think just a little bit about whether if Abram or Sarah or Hagar traveled to 21st century Scotland, what would they think? What would they think of our sophisticated and uh, uh, advanced society? I wonder if they would think we were completely crazy uh, and brutal if they found out that, for for example, 13,500 unborn children were aborted in scotland in 2018 which country they would ask is civilized and respects life and respects love and respects men and women so we recognize cultures are very different and if we ignore the hard bits i think we're messing up as christians and we're doing a disservice to god but i think as we go into this story we see that we we can mess up as as believers by taking things into our own hands as well. That's what we see in the early part of the story, isn't it? That God has made this great promise, and uh, they can't. Work, Abram and Sarah can't work out how this promise is going to be fulfilled because uh, Sarah is can't uh, get pregnant, and she isn't having a, ch- a child, and she's getting old. And so they take, as we've seen, they've taken matters into their own hand. But at no time in these early verses of chapter 16 do we see them consulting with God over it. Rather, they presume that they know what God has already decided and what is his mind because of the circumstances they find themselves in. So Sarah says, you know, behold now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to my servant. Uh, there's a, there is an, a degree of impatience. There de, there's a degree of presumption that they know what God has uh, uh, already decided. There's a lack of trust. They're not acting in faith. And interestingly, in the whole account between Abram and Sarah, it's very similar language to the language that's used with uh, the account of uh, Adam and Eve in that uh, Sarah gives the... Uh, servant girl to Abram and Abram agrees to that in the same way as what happened in the story with Adam and Eve giving of the fruit and and Adam receiving it and in all of this what they were doing may have been done with the very best of intentions they may have wanted to see God's promises fulfilled but they they couldn't wait on God and they couldn't wait for God to reveal how uh, it would happen without them taking circumstances and taking uh, the whole situation into their own hands. Now we look at our own lives and we look at our circumstances and sometimes we think, we we assume or we presume uh, what God must be doing and what God is thinking. And maybe we sometimes imbibe uh, the philosophy that God helps those who help themselves. It's not a biblical one. Uh, And and we can be impatient. So we take matters into our own hands and we don't pray about seeking God's will and and waiting on the Lord and uh, waiting to see him reveal his purposes for us. We can uh, um, take his promises and uh, uh, not wait for him to fulfill them and especially if we consider doing something that may be culturally or legally fine for us to do, uh, we just go ahead and do it. You know, an obvious application maybe uh, would be in longing for an intimate relationship with someone uh, in marriage that we don't wait on God for for making. Uh, the right choice. We make a rash choice of of partner, someone that's unsuitable, or someone that is not a Christian, or not sympathetic to our faith, and um, or maybe it's someone with whom we become sexually active before making any lifelong commitment to them in marriage. So it may be something like that, or it may be a host of, of many different issues where we take matters into our own hands. We don't wait. We don't act in faith. We don't. Um, listen for his voice, and sometimes with the very best intentions, but uh, disobedient to what God reveals in his word uh, as his model and his will and his desire for us. And so we learn uh, of the great danger of taking matters into our hands. We mess up. And I think sometimes when that happens, our decisions have serious and can have serious consequences, We see that here in the account with Abram and Sarah. Um, Abram's willing to go along uh, with this um, uh, invitation from his wife, and he takes Hagar to be his second wife, and uh, she conceives and gives birth to Ishmael. And uh, his willingness to do that and Sarah's desperation to be respected and honored with an heir leads to to great trouble. A a, a break in the uniqueness and the intimacy and the sanctity of their marriage. And we see very quickly um, aspects of their marriage uh, unravelling. Uh, Very soon there's jealousy. Uh, There's there's jealousy uh, between Sarah and Hagar. Um, There's Hagar's own quickly disrespectful attitude towards Sarah. There's Abram shrinking from his responsibility when there's tension between the two women and he just says, well, you know, you do what you think's right. Uh, there's an ongoing tension uh, as Ishmael grows up, as we see in later chapters, um, and that affects Abram and Sarah because Abram has a great love for Ishmael, his uh, son uh, from Hagar, and Sarah finds that difficult to cope with. Uh, and it leads to, in many ways, to generations of troubles. We see that there. We see it with David and Bathsheba. And we see lots of ways in which decisions have serious consequences. Yes, there's forgiveness, and there's always forgiveness. But it doesn't preclude the consequences of our actions. And there's a great warning in this story um, for us as believers that there are consequences in this life for our choices, for the decisions we make if we make them without reference to God, if we take matters into our own hands without seeking His will and without waiting on Him. And maybe more so than anything in relational decisions we make, decisions we make about who we spend time with and who we end up uh, marrying in our lives and, and that is because uh, such decisions involve somebody else and uh, involve somebody else intimately. but any rash decision we take without reference to God we know can be forgiven and we know will be forgiven but uh, and with, with that restoration goes a cost. So our decisions may have serious consequences, and I think at this point it's important if you're listening this evening that you're not a Christian, uh, you're just maybe um, uh, dipping your toe in the water, uh, if you're, you wouldn't call yourself yet a believer, it's important, I think, that you know that believers mess up, that the Bible is absolutely clear about that. You know, I hate when media and the films present Christians either as kind of super clean-cut, awfully nice and good prudes who are highly puritanical, or the other extreme raging hypocrites for whom their relationship with God seems to be just a public show, uh, and the rest of the time they're they're just uh, living a life that is 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 not in accordance with God's will at all. Uh, but the truth is, it's for for nearly every believer, somewhere in the middle, that genuine Christians will mess up um, because they uh, are sinners saved by grace and God is doing a transforming work in their lives. Uh, genuine Christians will be honest about their hearts and about their needs and about their weaknesses. There shouldn't be any self-righteousness in our lives. But nonetheless, uh, we mess up. Now, that doesn't excuse people not believing or not saying, well, if, you know, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be messing up in your life and I don't want anything to do with that um, because there's a genuine recognition of the, the need uh, for God on a daily basis and they've recognized their need for Christ. And if you haven't done that, then maybe uh, it's your head that's in the sand But can I say to believers at this point that uh, we must see uh, that truth of believers messing up and this story here as a a warning, not as an excuse. You know, we can't take another well uh, known verse uh, in society and in the world around us which says, to err is human, which is of course correct. Um, And to love is divine is also correct. But to err as human is not to be used as an excuse uh, or as a, a reason not to, to change in our lives because in Christ we are empowered to be different. We will fail, but we are to be dependent. We don't want to fail Our motive is to be obedient and to be loving and learning and having a changed heart that desires to do God's will. We want to seek patience to wait on Him and to follow Him and to obey Him. And uh, we will always have that motive and seek to have that motive of not just sinning and doing wrong things so that grace may abound. We know that Paul speaks about that, speaks against that in the New Testament. Can you imagine a marriage where one partner is constantly unfaithful um, and continues to be unfaithful in that marriage because every time he comes back, he's forgiven and accepted or she's forgiven and accepted. But that doesn't make uh, for a healthy marriage. It makes for one that's enslaved and one where there's enabling wrong behavior that lacks respect and lacks love and lacks a, a good motive of uh, uh, passion and concern for your partner. So we need to recognize that uh, the the folly that is exposed in Scripture among those who believe is never an excuse for us to uh, be careless about our own Christian life. So we see in this story that believers do mess up But the second thing I want to say is that God doesn't mess up. And if that's the only thing you remember from this uh, sermon this evening, I hope that you'll take it away with you. God doesn't mess up. He's intimately involved in this story, and uh, he works through uh, the carnage, in many ways, of what is happening here. We see that he is the one who doesn't let go. You know he's 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 made a covenant, this amazing covenant with Abram in the previous chapter uh, that uh, Thomas explained so well, so beautifully last week, and such a commit uh, that God was so committed to uh, redeeming His people and Abram and his family and his descendants, uh, taking us right up to the work of Jesus and the cross, and uh, all of the spiritual descendants of Abram, including ourselves who are Christians. Uh, he. Ultimately, he doesn't let go because he takes the consequences of making that commitment that he made in covenant, fulfilling it as we saw on the cross, where he takes our sin and uh, he uh, pays the price for that and is committed to returning again to bring us into the new heavens and new earth. And uh, through that, his uh, love will not give up on us. And his love did not give up on Abram at this point, though Abram and Sarah were untrust, untrusting and just went ahead on their own steam. We see that through this and the other events in Abram's life that God is working with him, forgiving him, training, teaching, drawing him to a place of deeper and deeper trust, right up to the penultimate act in many ways of, of, that's recorded of Abram's love, life of great trust when he is willing to take that child who uh, eventually is born to him and Sarah, the child Isaac, and he is asked to sacrifice him. Uh, And he entrusts that command to God, believing that God would provide a lamb or would raise uh, his son uh, back to life. Uh, so there's a maturing and a deepening and a commitment to Abram, and he's not letting go. And I wonder if you or if I need to be reminded of that this evening. You know, there's a great verse in Philippians which says, Philippians 1, six. I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Maybe this evening you need to be reminded of that. Uh, Maybe you're watching this evening as someone who made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but you've drifted away from him. You've maybe lost your first love. You assumed that God isn't interested, doesn't care, isn't true to his word, has moved on. Can I ask you to consider renewing your trust in him? Don't run away from him. Because if he wasn't committed to you, if uh, he wasn't committed never to letting go Of you, he would never have gone beyond Gethsemane. He would never have made it to the cross. There's no deeper evidence of his commitment to not let go of all of those who have come to him by faith than his work on the cross. So please heed his loving warning and trust in him. Trust, especially when every atom of your being up till this point is maybe saying otherwise. And if you're in trouble or if you feel there are troubled days ahead, know that he will not let go even when we don't see and don't understand. And even when we're in the dark, he uh, holds us and the dark for him is his light. So God doesn't mess up. He doesn't let go. He also is the God who hears our cries. And we see that very much in this, the great story with, uh, with Hagar here. She is a uh, an Egyptian slave uh, to Abram and Sarah uh, she would have been generally devalued and insignificant in that society and uh, she then uh, takes on the surrogate role I don't suppose she had much choice in it to be perfectly honest uh, and as she, uh, become, as, she's pre- as she finds out she's pregnant she becomes disdainful of her mistress Sarah and that leads to great tension, so much so that Sarah wants her thrown out. And uh, Abram acquiesces to that uh, particular uh, request. Now, when she's thrown out of her employment and her work uh, in that home, she was kind of like a servant uh, there. There was no furlough, you know, there was no job seeker's allowance. She was thrown out pregnant and destitute, uh, a slave who had no prospects whatsoever uh, except. Death, And the angel of the Lord appears to her. God appears personally to her. The angel of the Lord here uh, being synonymous with uh, a revelation of God in the Old Testament. God appears to Hagar, who has cried out in desperation, to the God of Abram and Sarah. It's a seminal moment in world history. And he makes promises to her and uh, he uh, tells her to call the son that she's going to have Ishmael, which means that God hears. God hears her cries. Um, She goes on to praise God that she has seen God and she renames him, in verse 13, the God, uh, you are a God of seeing. She calls the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. And she knows. uh, She's a a nobody, but she knows in the most remarkable way that God has personally come into her experience. uh, And she has had an audience with God, one of the few in the history of mankind. And God promises her the child and promises that uh, she will have descendants, but also asks her to go back and fulfill her responsibilities to Abram and Sarah. And that she can't run from this situation. Now, we don't know about the dynamics of what happened and and her going back. and probably was quite awkward and difficult, but nonetheless, she obeys and does so he hears our cries. That is the God who doesn't mess up, and that is our God. And there may be, as you listen this evening, a sense of feeling worthless, that nobody really takes any interest in you, or that God even doesn't. And yet, this is a great picture of the living God who sees, and who knows, and who hears our cries. In the bleakest and darkest and Uh, most depressing situations we can find ourselves in. Anyone who cries out to him, he sees and he will save as we come to him and seek uh, for his salvation. It's intensely personal. You know, God isn't a God who uh, saves mankind. He saves individuals. And uh, it's not good enough really for us just to have a general savior who's not really very interested or or very personal uh, the whole reality of of the gospel message is that we have this intensely impersonal uh, personal relationship with god who we feel as in our presence who sees us who, who we see by faith and who uh, hears our cries and again this evening maybe you might be in a position where you feel very far from god um cry out to him and maybe even hear him say don't run away Uh, go back to the responsibilities you need to face up to say sorry in a situation if you need to do that be reconciled with others but know that i am with you and know the way of healing and hope so he he hears our cries and the last thing i want to mention here is that he also reveals a bigger truth in the story, it's not—it's not only intensely personal, but there's a there's a broadening out of uh, God's involvement uh, to reveal that He has a wider purpose and a plan and a bigger truth being uh, unfolded, because we have the disturbing prophecy that He gives to Hagar about. Her son Ishmael and his descendants. Yeah, he has uh, many descendants, but he says, you know, there in verse 11 Behold, you're pregnant, and you shall bear a son, you shall name Ishmael, because the Lord is listening. to reflects, He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And there's this reality that there's, an, as a result of all that has happened and will uh, that has taken place, and will take place, there'll be an ongoing tension, an ongoing hostility and division within the family and uh, within, therefore, as it grows the nations. And you see, we see that from early on in in, uh, in chapter 21 when Isaac is weaned and there's a great celebration uh, when Isaac is born to Sarah and Abram and uh, he's weaned. It's a great celebration, uh, but Ishmael makes a fool of him and mocks him. Uh, Ishmael by this stage was probably 16 or 15 or 16 years old and uh, again uh, Hagar and Ishmael are thrown out and as history develops we see two very different lines developing through Abram's seed and uh, Hagar's seed uh, basically uh, Jews and Arabs and we see even to this day huge tensions uh, uh, between these two uh, races, nations, um, in all its complexity. But wh- what we see in this is also, a, it reflects a spiritual reality. Galatians 4 speaks about that very much. Um, it ref- it reminds us of humanity as a whole, in a sense, is that we have one Father, there is one God, one Father in heaven, but ultimately uh, the descendants of uh, God, uh, who made us take two very different paths. Um, there are those who are uh, children, spiritual children of God, who come to faith in Him through Jesus Christ, this, the inheritance, Abraham's covenant uh, inheritance, and there's those who are not. That's the only two uh, realities uh, in the world. And God says, Choose, you know, choose this day whom you will serve. And we recognize that this. This physical picture uh, bears a, a, a deeper spiritual reality. Uh, and we see that spiritual reality transcending uh, the two physical uh, uh, journeys that are taken by the sons of Abram. Because we know that Abram's physical seed, the Jewish people, they rejected the Savior. And many Gentiles and many Arabs have become part of the spiritual family of God. In fact, Abram's, the promise given to Abram and to Isaac and to his descendants was that all nations of the world will be blessed uh, through the seed that would come, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the invitation goes out to all It transcends national barriers and and backgrounds and races and nationalities, Uh, but it's still either those who follow Christ or those who don't. Every single human being belongs to one of these two uh, uh, sections of, of humanity. And the invitation goes out to all. So we remember that, and we remember that our Muslim friends are distant cousins who need Jesus Christ just as much as we do. So I finish just with that truth that comes through this passage and comes through the covenant unveiled and comes through all of God's word, is that he is the God who doesn't mess up, and he's the God of the impossible. You know, just like Abram and Sarah, we're prone to look at our life and even our life of faith in purely and simply rationalistic terms in our circumstances and if things aren't going according to plan then we just go ahead and make our own decisions Uh, we help ourselves in life with a peppering of faith along the way but all through the bible we're asked to trust in the god the god who is the god of the impossible Uh, and even the fact that he uh allows Sarah to have child way beyond childbearing age is uh, a testament to that. And uh, the promise uh, is that he impossibly takes judgment for our sin on himself, divine uh, judgment for our sin, divine wrath he takes on his own self, the impossible reality of salvation. And his promise is to always help us, to always be there, to answer our prayers, and to enable us to live the Christian life, which is impossible by faith, because he is raised from the dead and he's empowered us to uh, live in that new resurrection power in that new life and with that great hope. So the encouragement is to trust and obey this God of the impossible and recognize that that is his stock and trade and give him the glory for so doing. Luke 18, verse 27, Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. May you take that away as you think of maybe the impossibilities you're facing this coming week. uh, Fears, doubts, struggles, battles. How can I possibly carry on as a Christian? May you cry out as Hagar did to the living God for salvation and may none of us do what Abram and Sarah did which was to take things into their own hands Amen let's pray Father God help us we pray to not take um, matters into our own hands without reference to you without knowing your will and if we don't know your will um, not disobeying what we do know or not acting precipitously um, or presumptuously quickly uh, without waiting to be guided by you. Help us to live out the impossible life of faith as we cry out to you for your strength and know that you take us day by day and you love us, you're committed to us uh, so much so uh, that you went from that garden in Gethsemane and you allowed these nails to be thrust through your hands and your feet uh, because of your great love and commitment to us and your resurrection proves uh, that great life and that great promise uh, for each of us this evening. Amen.